So the first reading is Acts 17, um, verses 1 to 15, and the second, 1 Thessalonians 1. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a number of large as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find him, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if Paul, what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, and as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. And the second reading is 1 Thessalonians 1. Paul, Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell you how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Good evening. My name's Jeff. It's great to be with you tonight and a real privilege to open the Bible with you. Just a few things to kick off tonight. 
this evening we return to an occasional series uh, where we tackle one book of the Bible in one talk and try and do the whole thing all at once. Uh, we're taking a big picture look at 1 Thessalonians tonight, partly because we're spending our semester in hub groups looking at this letter in detail and so this is a good chance to get an overview of it. Uh, the other reason is because it's just good. Uh, it's good to look at a letter like this and it's good to do it in a slightly different way. Uh, instead of just going in detail, passage by passage, uh, to get a big picture look at it, uh, try and see the overall message. Uh, so tonight we'll miss some of the details. Uh, you'll feel like, oh, I wish we could go deeper into that uh, question. But hopefully it will give us questions to pursue through the semester and uh, start conversations that we can continue uh, and maybe open up the whole of the letter for us. Uh, so tonight there'll be a little bit of flicking around, but it'll be mostly in 1 Thessalonians, and what's that? Four pages? So flick away. I think that's it for, by way of preparation. Uh, I don't know if you're someone who frequents the gym often. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, there's different types of people at the gym, I understand. Uh, you've got your peacocks. Uh, they're, they're the big guys, um, muscle-bound dudes who uh, you know, do a couple of reps and then they work the mirrors. Um, and then it's, you know, it's talking with their, their boys and then it's off for a protein shake. And mostly it's about the look. They, they don't actually do much uh, lifting. That's all about kind of being as big as you possibly can be. So you've got, you've got your peacocks, uh, you've got your uh, stick insect, that's more my category. Uh, new to the gym, uh, obviously need to get a little bit of meat on the bones, uh, struggling with the empty bar before there's any <laughs> things on it. Uh, so you've got your peacocks, your stick insects, and then you've got your rhinos. Um, I'm calling them rhinos. Uh, they're not flashy, they're just strong. Uh, you know the kind of people I'm talking to about, not just guys, uh, women can be rhinos too. Uh, the kind of person who's zero body fat, uh, just not artificially pumped up, just core, so solid core. And you feel like if you went and pushed them, there's, there's no way you could push them over uh, because they just have that hardness from a long time in the gym working hard like I imagine a rhino would be. If you, you know when you punch a friend who's a rhino and you go, hey, how's it going? And, ah, my, ah, like I, I actually hurt myself uh, from that. I imagine that's what a rhino is like, just uh, completely solid, like they could run a triathlon at any moment. Uh, and they're not in the gym to show off or to flirt. They're there because they just want to be strong. They, they want to be strong for life uh, to get through what life throws at them. What category would you put yourself in in terms of what you believe? How solid are you on what you believe? If you're a Christian, would you say you're a rhino Christian? Would you say you're a stick insect Christian? Someone just kind of at the beginning, starting out. Uh, uh, are you a peacock? All show uh, and nothing are really strong underneath. 
What does it look like to be a rhino Christian? To be strong like that in terms of what you believe? Uh, Well, that's going to be our question for tonight as we look at the big picture of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to see what 1 Thessalonians says uh, to a new church. A new church are just getting going. So first, a bit of background. Uh, It's important to kind of understand uh, what's happening behind uh, this church. Uh, We read a little bit in that passage in Acts. The church in Thessalonica was uh, planted by Paul on his second missionary journey. And we've got a slide, which is a bit of a picture. So uh, this is where uh, Paul's operating. And so he starts off over there at Antioch um, in the east. And he has this uh, plan on this journey to go across uh, that region of Turkey and strengthen the churches that he's planted on his first missionary journey. Uh, They go around, they pick up Timothy at Lystra there. uh, But then something unexpected happens. Paul has this dream of a man from Macedonia uh, and he's begging them to come over and uh, share the gospel with them. And so he goes where he wasn't planning to go, across from uh, the Middle East, Turkey here, into Europe for the first time. Uh, The gospel comes across into Europe and they travel around to Philippi and they start a church there, uh, but it doesn't take long before they're thrown in prison and run out of town by people who are against this message about Jesus. And so they head on uh, around the top to Thessalonica there. Uh, And so we read that little passage in Acts 17. What happens is Paul goes there, he preaches in the synagogue for three Sabbath days, we're told, so he's only there a short time, maybe a bit longer than those three weeks, uh, long enough just to plant a church, to get something going, a a fledgling little seedling of a church. Uh, But then we read in Acts 17 verse 5, other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. As I read that, it feels like something that would happen to Batman, that the Joker would round up bad characters and start a riot, and it just seems like this amazing thing to happen. Uh, So Paul and his guys uh, have to flee, they go down to Berea, the same thing happens, and then they uh, go further down uh, to Athens, and then Paul goes on to Corinth. But Paul, at this stage, is worried He's had to leave this tiny little church that he's uh, just started. They're a stick insect, right? They're they're hardly strong at all, just puny beginners in Jesus. And he's worried that they're going to be pushed over. And so uh, he travels around, but eventually he cracks uh, and sends Timothy back up north uh, to find out about these new believers uh, that he's left in Thessalonica. And we're told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, he reports back to them uh, what it was like to receive uh, news from Timothy, back from them. So this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 6. He says, But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. Uh, Then verse 7, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you, Because of your faith, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. They're still standing. They haven't been pushed over. They're committed to Jesus. They're living it out. 
Uh, They're full of faith and love, he says. Now we really live, now that we know that you're still going. Paul is so happy. He says, quick, Timothy, come here, I'll write a letter, you can go straight back. And Timothy's like, okay, just give me a moment. Uh, But Paul is just so thankful to God. And so that's how he starts his letter uh, in chapter 1. Verse 2, he says, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So he starts off this letter just full of thankfulness, thanking God for the faith, hope, and love that he's given to them and how that's working out in their life. And that's why he's writing, actually. He wants more of the same. Uh, he wants them to, to go on building from stick insects to, to rhinos, to be Christians with enduring strength who build themselves up strong in faith, hope, and love. And he comes back to those three things at the end. Uh, Flick over to chapter 5, verse 8. He says, Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Faith, hope, and love, they're the marks of a strong, solid Christian. And that's one way to think about how the letter fits together, to see those three categories uh, at work, faith, hope, and love. And I think we have another slide. And again. Yeah, go again, Nick. Yeah. So uh, that's a sketch of the the letter, uh, kind of by proportion. There's a little intro. uh, Then there's a portion where he, he recounts how they heard the gospel uh, where that comes from and uh, what that was like. And then uh, goes on to talk about uh, their love and how they can grow in that. And then uh, talks about that final hope uh, before rounding out with a conclusion. So that's one way to kind of think about the portions of the letter. It's not set in stone, but that's just one way to, to break it down. And so w- w- tonight we're just going to think about those uh, three sections Faith, hope, and love. Their genuine faith, their growing love, and their glorious hope. Those three things. And that's going to give us an overview that hopefully we'll be able to dig into uh, through the semester. So Paul spends most of the letter, you can see there, talking uh, to them about their genuine faith. Uh, he Listen to how they received the gospel. Uh, chapter 1, verse 4. Look back there with me. He says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. And then chapter 2, verse 13. He says, And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God which is indeed at work in you who believe. So he wants them to see that they are genuine, they have a genuine faith. The way they received the message is proof of that because it came with conviction. It's talking about the heart. They believed something new and it transformed them. 
Chapter 1, verse 9 says that they turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They have new convictions about the world, new eyes to see reality. Eyes to see that idols are nothing, they're just wood, they're they're just stone. And that there is a living God, and that there's a King, Jesus, who is coming back. And actually, all of Christian conversion is like that. It's, it's getting new eyes, new eyes to see that uh, money is just an empty God and it's pointless to live your life just chasing pleasure. And God gives a deep conviction about sin and our need for Jesus. That's what it's like. They're genuine believers. They have genuine faith. But it's not just in their response He also wants to show them that they're genuine because of how the message was delivered to them. Uh, Paul spends a lot of chapter 2 talking about himself. And he says, we didn't use flattery. We didn't try and trick you. We weren't just after money. Uh, In fact, the opposite. He says, we worked really hard to make sure we didn't take money from you. And we were persecuted by people. We didn't have anything in it for our own gain. We were in it for you. And that's one reason why you can know uh, that you're genuine. We still told you the gospel and you accepted it as God's word and it transformed you. Uh, How do you know if you've got a genuine Rolex? Uh, Well, you have to ask the question, how did you get it? Did you get it off a shady guy on Gumtree? Uh, Or did you get it from an authorised dealer? Did you get it from someone who was self-interested in making the sale? Uh, Or did you get it in a genuine way? And then what happened to the watch afterwards? Did it stop working after a couple of weeks? Or is it still a flawless piece of Swiss engineering? (laughs) Is Rolex Swiss? I I don't know. Let's say it's Swiss. But do you know what I mean? Uh, Paul is saying uh, you you have genuine faith. Uh, Because you've heard it from a genuine source and you've had a genuine response. And he wants them to know that so that they can go deeper in it. And the same is true for us. We need to know the source that we get it from, to to trust uh, the Bible, to know that uh, those who spread the message about Jesus were genuine. They weren't in it for themselves, but they were transformed by Jesus and sent by him to tell the world that he is king. Uh, Paul wants the Thessalonians to be rhinos. And especially because they'll be facing persecution. He knows that that's on them now. He left them with a mob in the city rioting against Christians, taking Jason and his uh, friends hostage. They need to be rhinos. They need to be convinced of their genuine faith if they're going to stand firm. So that's the first thing. Uh, A a rhino Christian has a genuine faith. Uh, Secondly, a growing love. Uh, Flick over to chapter 4, verse 9 with me. He says, Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. That's one of the reasons that Paul is so overjoyed about the Thessalonians when he gets this news from Timothy. Uh, It's their love. 
They have this love for each other. They're putting their genuine faith into action. Uh, But it's not that they have everything all together all the time. Uh, When you get to chapter 4, actually Paul has to remind them about how to act in love when it comes to their sexuality. So read uh, verse 3 of chapter 4 with me. He says that it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. See, they're this group of new Christians uh, out of a pagan world uh, where prostitution and adultery are kind of ingrained into the culture. And Paul says that the way to love other people is to not do that, to avoid sexual immorality. And when you think about Australian culture, we have stuff like that baked into our culture as well. Things like porn, like uh, moving in together. Um, They would fall into the category of uh, sexual immorality for Paul. Uh, Any sex outside of marriage. And Paul says that this is a matter of love for the Christian. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 6, he says that, and in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Can you see how it's about, it's about loving them? Uh, sexual holiness is a way of loving each other. I wonder, is that how you think about it? it it's a very countercultural way uh, of thinking about love. Uh, I think we normally think about love being expressed in sexual freedom, expression, Um, where there's no restrictions. The only restriction is that it's consensual. But the Bible says something very different, that love is shown in sexual self-control. That's how you love someone else. Now, you might think, oh, typical Christians saying boo to sex, Um, you know, fuddy-duddies. But, you know, 1 Thessalonians isn't saying no to sex, it's saying no to sexual immorality, Uh, sex that does wrong other people, sex that's outside of uh, the safety and love of a lifelong marriage is damaging. It's not being anti-sex, it's being pro-self-control, that that's the right way to use our sexuality. And it's saying that that is how you love one another that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable. And I think that's great. In a way that is holy and honourable, to have a holy body that is set apart for a special purpose, used in a way that's worthy and valuable, not just sleeping around, not fooling around with your girlfriend, but something much better in the way we use our sexuality. To learn self-control so that we use our bodies in a good way for the good of others, in a way that's special and valuable. I think that's a great view of sexuality, to put it in the context of love. I think that that's something worth explaining to other people as well.
Paul praises the Thessalonians for their growing love. And they don't have it all together. They've got this stuff to learn. But Paul wants them to to build on what they've got. Uh, Just like that person at the gym who just keeps on hitting it. Just keeps on working hard, building and building. Growing love. Uh, Thirdly and finally, uh, we get to the portion of the letter about the glorious hope. Uh, It starts there in chapter 4, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Uh, It seems that the church uh, in Thessalonica has maybe asked Timothy a question to take back to Paul and they're asking what happens if a Christian dies before Jesus comes back? Uh, And it's an important question because all of them have died uh, and Jesus still hasn't come back uh, and they want to know, does that mean that they have missed out? You can see how they might have been confused about this. Paul wasn't really around very long. He didn't have time to answer every question they had. Um, So maybe uh, they got the point that Jesus was returning uh, but they figured that you had to still be alive for that to really count for anything, for, for you to get the benefits of it. And so Paul wants to teach them, tell them something they don't know about the glorious hope of Jesus' return. So here it is, uh, verse 14, chapter 4. He says, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. The Christian hope is eternal life with God in a new creation. Real life that goes on and on. That doesn't end in death. And he says death now doesn't break that. In fact, uh, Paul says it's like falling asleep. As simple as that. Uh, When my aunt died, uh, her funeral was all about this uh, hope of resurrection. And uh, there was a a reading from 1 Corinthians uh, 15. And it it was still hard to look at the casket and think, oh, she's just asleep. But in a sense, she was. She is. She is asleep. Uh, waiting for the day when God will raise her up to be with him for eternity in a real body with real life. It's simply an amazing hope and it's all through this letter and it's, it's the basis, it's the ground uh, on which they, uh, Paul builds the Christian life. It shapes how Christian life is to be lived now uh, because... He says, uh, we belong to that day. Not to now, not to, not to this world. We belong to that new creation, to that day when Jesus will return. That's our future. And so we build faith, hope and love in light of that. Genuine faith, growing love, glorious hope. That's what it looks like to be a rhino Christian, to be, to be solid, to be strong, someone who can go on and on. Uh, through persecution, strong in the face of persecution, standing firm in what you believe, 
able to live it out even when the culture is totally against you. So how does that happen? How do you become a rhino? Uh, What's the equivalent of hours in the gym uh, here in the analogy? Well, 1 Thessalonians doesn't tell us uh, everything about that, but I think this is what we find when you take the big picture. If you were to go home tonight, uh, read through 1 Thessalonians all at once, uh, it would only take you 20 minutes or so, Uh, what you'd see is a lot of Paul praying. All through the letter, he prays and he prays for the Thessalonian church. And so what we find, as you you see the whole thing all at once, is that spiritual rhinos come from God and not us. Comes from God and not us. If you want to grow into a, a rhino Christian, you have to start by asking God. You want to be spiritually strong? Then you need the spirit to work. You can't just will yourself into it. You have to start by asking God. And that's exactly what Paul does all through 1 Thessalonians. It's a a letter full of prayers. Even if we just look at one, look at chapter 3, verse 12. Here's what he says. He prays to God, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. And can you see embedded into that prayer, faith, hope and love? May the Lord make your love increase. May he strengthen your hearts uh, so that you will be holy and blameless when the Lord Jesus comes. That hope, faith, hope and love all through these prayers. Now we could say uh, more about what it takes to to grow strong in Christ and 1 Thessalonians has uh, a lot more to say about it, a lot more to say about how we can grow one another in Jesus. Uh, So much more to that. Uh, But at the heart of it, God builds strong Christians, rhinos, convinced of the truth, with strong hearts, people who love each other, uh, with their minds on that glorious future. Not flashy, not peacocks, not lazy Christians, Believers who are solid, who can stand firm, even when the going gets tough. People of genuine faith, growing love, glorious hope. That is what Paul is praying for the Thessalonians. And if you think, well, I don't really know how to pray like that. That's that's really hard. Well, there's like five prayers in 1 Thessalonians uh, on this very thing. Go there and uh, pray those words that Paul is praying for yourself, for your friends, what a great way to love and serve others who you want to, uh, would love to see grow into strong uh, believers standing firm in what they know. That's what Paul prays for the Thessalonians. Why don't we start praying for that ourselves too? Why don't you pray with me now? We'll kick it off.
Father God, we pray that you would make our love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. Father God, please strengthen our hearts so that we will stand blameless and holy in your presence when your Son, Jesus our Lord, returns as King and with all his holy ones with him. And we pray this for his sake. Amen.